You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual... Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast, uh, me and the tech savvy at risk youth are honored and delighted to be bringing you another installment of the Savage Lovecast, the once a week outlawed version of my sex advice column, Savage Love, Christmas approaches, <laughs> Hanukkah approaches, I say Hanukkah like that because several of the tech savvy at risk youth are what we like to call around here, Jews, and they're amused by my Hebrew, uh, I was in Godspell in high school where we learned to say, Baruch atah which is in Godspell for some reason that I don't understand. Um, and I'm trying to just make the uh, tech-savvy at-risk Jews laugh now so you can actually hear their laughter. They're, one of them is sort of shaking a little bit. The dreadlocks are bobbing up and down, but they're not laughing out loud. Uh, I give up, so we'll go right to your calls. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage right now for details. Hey, uh, I'm a 70-year-old man, uh, still with quite a sex drive, always been into uh, female dominance my entire life. I'm twice divorced, been alone for almost 10 years. Never had a computer till four years ago, and then slowly got into phone sex. Uh, recently, just about a month ago, I ran into an experience new to me, financial domination. And uh, I am hooked. I mean, it's just something terrible. I have spent uh, a little over $2,000 just in the month of uh, November. I cannot stop. I keep telling myself to get away from it, but it's just like, I don't know. I'm addicted to cigarettes. I'm addicted to coffee. I've never been a a drug addict. Uh, But I cannot stop. The thought of not doing it now is unbearable. And the crazy, insane thing is I don't get much. I get very little. (laughs) Mostly ignored, a faint promise here and there, an insult here and there. And like a madman, I keep going back, back, back. I'm on the road to self-destruction, bankruptcy. I want to quit, and I just can't. I, I, I don't know how. This, this very young girl has, has just such a horrible hold on me. Before I get to your question, a, a word about the term financial dominance, which I'm assuming some listeners are unfamiliar with. Uh, the internet kind of made financial dominance possible. Uh, not that there weren't people who had mistresses or masters or uh, dominant folks in their lives that they showered with gifts uh, to show their appreciation and to demonstrate their submissiveness. But with PayPal and the internet, it is now possible for people to engage in you know mutually, hopefully beneficial acts of financial dominance, where you know somebody has a website or has an email relationship with somebody where they order that person to give them money uh, to demonstrate you know, their superiority, the person receiving the money, and the inferiority and 
submissiveness of the person handing the money over. Now, is that taking advantage? Yes, it is uh, on the part of the dominant. If the person handing some of the money over has money to spare and they get something out of this and it gives them a charge and showering you know, this younger, more beautiful person, uh, more dominant person with money and gifts uh, fills that submissive's heart with joy and they can beat off to it and they get something for their money uh, and they're not harming themselves uh, financially really uh, or putting themselves in desperate straits. It's fine. You know, it's not something I would engage in. <laughs> Although some people might accuse me of already being in that sort of relationship. Anyway, I'm not going to go there. It's not something I would willingly engage in as a top or a bottom. But, you know, if it floats your boat and it's not pushing you toward bankruptcy, I think as a submissive, you can go for it. If it floats your boat and pays your bills and you're not pushing anyone toward bankruptcy, I think you can go for it as a top. This is not a case, I think, where it's okay. You say that it's you're desperate, it's pushing you towards bankruptcy and financial ruin, and you got to stop. So stop. Sounds like you need a little help and a little support to stop. You might want to get a therapist, uh, which you can get for a lot less than $2,000 a month. This sort of situation that you've gotten yourself into uh, can be hard to confide in anyone else about, How hard to tell anybody else about. Um, you need to do that. You need to open up to somebody who can intervene and be uh, and hold you accountable, sort of like a sponsor in AA, somebody who can hold you accountable, somebody you can go to. Uh, and that person, unfortunately, can't be me. Uh, that needs to be somebody who is present in your life. If you have a child, uh, if you have a, a good friend, you need to go tell them what you've been doing and how it's making you feel and the risk that you're running if this continues. Now, the easiest time to resolve to knock something like this off is immediately after you ejaculate, as we all know. Uh, the easiest time to swear off internet pornography is right after you've rubbed one out and you feel terrible about it if internet pornography is dominating your life. So the next time you do this, and I assume there will be a next time, the minute after you come – Take that resolve after you've pressed that button and racked up some more credit card debt uh, in tribute to your uh, dom. Use that moment of resolve after you've come to disconnect your computer and throw it the fuck away. You can go to a library when you need to check an answer email and you can read magazines and newspapers just like people did in olden times. You don't have to have a computer and an internet connection in your house. You really don't. Throw the, throw the computer away, yank it out of the house, toss it in the fucking trash. All right? It's really the only way to put an end to this. Not, you're not going to be able to stop when you get horny at 70, visiting, you know, drifting on over to those websites at moments of weakness unless you are physically incapable of doing it, unless there is not an internet connection in your house. You're not going to be able to do this at home, and hopefully it's some sort of thing you'd be able to do in a library or anywhere else where there's public internet access. So just... Stop. You're like an alcoholic who needs to stop hanging out in bars, right? Or an alcoholic who needs to rip the wet bar out of his own house, all right? Hi, Dan. I have a question about vibrators. Um, my husband and I have been married for about three years, and we've been together for four and a half. And um, we've always had a really, really good sex life. I know that everyone says that. <laughs> um, but it's true. And... Um, I have a really hard time coming. It takes 
between 15 and 20 minutes of him going down on me to finally come. And when I do come, I can come four or five, six times, which is awesome, but it just takes a really long time. And I know that, you know, my husband doesn't always want to commit to that amount of time, um, especially if we're just having a quickie or we're really busy and don't have a lot of time. So um, I bought my first vibrator, I guess, two years ago and um, sort of asked him to use it with me, and he wasn't really into it. Um, It sort of seemed to intimidate him a little bit, even though it was like this small metallic blue thing. Um, So I found that my orgasms were awesome with, with the vibrator, and it takes like five minutes. So... Um, I got a smaller one that's a lot more discreet and he's not really into that one either. And he says that he doesn't really want to use it on me because then he doesn't feel involved, um, in my orgasm and he doesn't want to use it during sex because he says that it vibrates his penis and then he can't get off. And so I don't really know what to do. I don't know if he's coming up with a bunch of excuses as to why he doesn't want to use this vibrator with me. Um, because I would really, really love to come while we're actually having sex, which is impossible for me because his fingers don't work. Um, I just, I can't come any other way except when he's going down on me or this vibrator. So um, I want to know what to do about this because I don't want to come at him and, and you know, accuse him of not wanting to, you know, help me come because he's always really eager and into it, but it just doesn't happen as often as I'd like it to because it does take so long for me to come when he goes down on me. Um, and another part of this too, I should say, is that um, I think part of it might be a Madonna whore complex because before we got married, we had like crazy wild sex all the time. And now it's just since we've been married, it just hasn't been as uninhibited, I should say. Um, He's just not into as much experimentation, and he doesn't really like me to to get really dirty or talk dirty to him. So I don't know if that could be affecting it as well. You know what you need to do about this? You need to put your foot down. You need to tell your husband that you want to come while he's fucking you, and he can either invest the time that it takes, the 20 minutes that it takes to bring you to orgasm with his mouth, Or he can use this tool to bring you to orgasm. Either way, his tongue or this tool, he's still bringing you to orgasm. He needs to not look at the vibrator as this thing, you know, this meteor that hits your twat when he happens to be in the room, but as this thing that he uses, uh, this thing that he uses on you uh, to give you the pleasure that you have coming to you, the orgasms that you deserve and you have a right to insist on. Now, about the Madonna whore thing and the wild, crazy, fun sex you were having before marriage and the kind of withering of all of that after marriage. If marriage was the pivot, then yeah, it's probably some hang-up that he's got about Madonna whore or about the way you fuck a girlfriend versus the way you fuck a wife. And you need to rip that Band-Aid off and have a conversation about that. It sounds like you're confiding that in me, but you haven't talked to him about him about that or confronted him about that. Because the wild, crazy sex he had with you when you were the girlfriend – is not sex that he did not enjoy and is not sex that he doesn't want to have again in the future. So if he's not having that kind of sex with his wife, that leads me to believe, I I would assume that he will go looking for that kind of sex at some point with someone who is not his wife, whether you're still married 
or not? Are you with me? Like the Madonna whore guys, the guys with that big hang up who fuck girlfriends one way and wives the other way tend to acquire girlfriends when they've got wives because they miss that kind of crazy off the hook sex. And so you need to confront him about that and say, you got to fuck me like I'm your girlfriend or your hang up is going to destroy this marriage. And you need to be that blunt about it. And you guys, he has to be able to see you as Madonna and whore. I don't know why that's such a problem uh, in a lot of relationships. You know, you can put somebody up on a, half the fun of putting somebody up on a pedestal is pulling them off it every once in a while and fucking the shit out of them. Right? And you got to drag him to that realization. You've got to bring him back to the kind of sex you were having before marriage. And you've got to insist, really insist on your pleasure and his choice, the 20 minutes or the assist with the vibrator, the assist with the tool. But you got to, you got to call the question. You got to stand up for yourself. You got to put your foot fucking down. Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word and entertainment. Audible has over 35,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere, just like the Savage Lovecast. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. A book that I might want to recommend is perhaps a stocking stuffer or Christmas gift for the previous caller that's available at audible.com right now is She Comes First, The Thinking Man's Guide to Pleasuring a Woman by Ian Kerner. Might want to pop that in the old husband's stocking. And you can get that right now at audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Again, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage for your free audiobook today. Uh, hi. So I'm calling a comment about episode number 68 that aired on Tuesday, February 5th of 2008 um, in response to a woman who called um, she and her partner um, have a kink relationship, mind control, BDSM, and they don't do it very much anymore. And so my girlfriend and I also serendipitously just found out that we have the same uh, fetish, which is, you know, just straight up BDSM. And we also don't do it as much as we did at first. Um, and so we stopped, paused it before we could hear your answer, and we discussed it, and we decided that actually we're just kind of lazy. It's not as um, exciting because it's not as new anymore, which isn't to say it's not as enjoyable or fun. We still love it. But um, it's just not new and exciting. And, like, it takes, like, 10 minutes to tie her up. You know, I mean, it's a lot of effort, and so it's a lot easier to just have no effects. And so then we were listening to your response, and you didn't mention that at all. And so for us, it wasn't at all about, you know, how we would feel about the other person thinking of us being kinky or whatever. We didn't think about it at all. Just it takes a lot of work, and, you know, we're tired, and, you know, we work hard, and then we come home, and we just want to fuck, you know, and we don't, without all the, the hoo-ha, which we still do, just not near, um, and we still enjoy it a great deal, just not as much as we used to. So the next time somebody calls up and, you know, why won't my partner do our fetish anymore, I just wanted to, you know, that's another potential reason. Um, <clears throat> it's, you know, not new and exciting, and it's a lot of work, and so it's still fun, but it's more of a special occasion thing than an everyday thing. I'm always amazed that people say that, you know, kinks, after you've explored them for a bit, are not new and exciting anymore. But vanilla intercourse is always new and exciting somehow or, uh, you know, the vaginal intercourse that you guys have instead, which I assume you've had over and over and over again uh, for many years, uh, is always fresh and always new. Uh, I think that the 10 minutes it takes to tie your girlfriend up, if she's into it and you're into it, is time well spent. Uh, but if you guys uh, are content to, to, you know, to blow it off or, or to only incorporate it a little bit here and there. That's totally legit. You know, one of the things that's great about a long-term relationship is 
uh, you sometimes end up having quick moments of intimacy that are somehow as satisfying as the, you know, two, three hour fuck fests you had when you first got together and your first bonding, if I may use that word in this context, in this call, the, fu- the fuck fest you had when you first got together, your first bonding, you sort of then have sort of shorthand fuck fests where you guys, you just dive right in, you do the deed, you dive back out, uh, and it can be as meaningful and loving and important to your satisfaction in the relationship as the fuck fests of old were. However, I think that, you know, if you find something you enjoy, uh, you know, people have a tendency to tack toward laziness uh, in, in relationships. And it's a form of taking each other for granted, I think, when you say you to her, she to you, you both to each other, that there's this thing we really like to do. But, God, it takes 10 whole extra minutes to work it into what we're doing right now. And I just can't see investing that 10 minutes in our mutual pleasure. I think that's kind of sad. You know, so I hear you. Yeah, sometimes people uh, get lazy and stop doing the things that they enjoy. Um, but I don't think that that's uh, wise or healthy uh, for the relationship in the long term. Uh, hey, Dan, my name is Denise and I'm calling from New York City. I'm calling because I would like to hire um, a pro for my brother as a Christmas present. Um, to give you a little bit of background, and I have, I have no idea how to hire a pro, um, to give you a little bit of background, he is a 38-year-old with muscular dystrophy. Um, he's confined to a wheelchair and has um, very, very, very limited sexual experience as far as I know. Um, he's got, he got his heart broken really badly a long time ago and has been kind of out of the game ever since. Um, but I know this is an area of his life that he really um, feels is lacking and um and has, is one of the um, of a few factors that has led to a really deep depression for him and to him kind of completely withdrawing from our family. In fact, I haven't seen him for a couple of years. So the situation is complicated by a couple of factors. One, he's in the Midwest. I'm in New York. Um, he's not uh, in touch with me very much, but I know that this is something that I think he would really enjoy. And I remember you talking about a website where one could go to read reviews of sex workers. And I also remember you having a guy on the show um, who wrote a book about sex for the disabled. And I was just, I don't know, if you have some resources for me to help me kind of um, go about doing this, I've never hired a hooker before. So we have the author of that book about sex and disability on the phone, Corey Silverberg. Uh, give us the real title, Corey. Uh, it's the ultimate guide to sex and disability, yeah. And this comes up a bit, the idea of hiring pros for people who mm-hmm. are uh, confined to wheelchairs, who have muscular dystrophy or MS. Right. Uh, what's the uh, disability community's flash take on that? Well, there's, I mean, to talk about, you know, the quote-unquote disability community, it's kind of like asking about what's the gay community's take on something. So there's different points of view. Um, some people in the disability community actually are very active in trying to work with sex workers to get them trained to know how to do work around disability. Um, there's a couple good organizations, none of them in the States, though. There's one in the U.K. called The Outsiders. There's another in Australia called Touching Base. And they actually work with, like, they take sex, bring sex workers and folks with disabilities together. There's another side of it that I've heard from people with disabilities, but often more often uh, actually from non-disabled people who uh, feel like they're in a position to talk for people with disabilities. And that perspective is this kind of idea that, you know, because when you're disabled, you have all these people around you doing stuff for you. So the idea of getting a sex worker must be terrible because that's just like one more thing you have to have someone do for you. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's not, I mean, like I think that, that kind of attitude is 
probably has a lot, it says a lot about what they think of sex work and disability, and more than, you know, actually looking at individuals' experience. My perspective, of course, is that if anyone has access to sex workers, everyone should have access to sex workers. Mm-hmm. Say, let's say all adults should have access to sex workers. Um, so, there's a lot of uh, prejudice, I think, in the you know the able-bodied community. A lot of people want to see disabled people as sexless or without desire because it makes right. us uncomfortable about makes uh, you know able-bodied people sometimes I think feel uncomfortable about their lack of attraction to disabled people on account of their disability. Yeah, although I mean, yeah, although the thing is, I think that it, I mean, when you start scratching the, underneath, scratching the surface of a lot of able-bodied people, non-disabled, non-disabled people, uh, you find that they, you know, often actually they have a story about someone with a disability that they did find really attractive. So I think it's complicated. I mean, but certainly on the surface, we like to think of them as asexual. I think it has a lot more to do with the fact that we think of them as helpless, right? We think of them as childlike, and we certainly can't think of our kids as being sexual. Right, right. Uh, I see that. Like certainly, when I'm talking to non-disabled people, that seems to come out a lot more. Um, it depends. On the disability, right? Like, yeah. Um, you know, let's so, talk about the particular circumstances. Right sure. I mean, we're so the, of this, yeah, go ahead. this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, she hasn't seen her wheelchair-bound disabled brother for years. He's right. not really in contact with her family. They don't live in the same city. They don't have any sort of day-to-day interaction or rapport. Right. Can you really parachute a sex worker into this guy's <laughs> life without it being incredibly disruptive? Yeah, I don't think so. And I said, so, yeah, I mean, I was, as she was saying that, I was really thinking, like, I'd love to hear what Dan's going to say about this, because I think that, yeah, that you're, you're hitting on the fact that a lot of these issues are just, like, relational and social, and is this going to work, as opposed to how do I find a sex worker who's good with people with disabilities? I don't think that's such a great idea. She hasn't talked to him in two years. I'd also want to know, how does she know that this is what he really wants if she hasn't talked to him in two years? We do a lot of projecting how with our family. He, how do you know he isn't getting laid? Exactly. How did he, that, that, and how does she, or how does she know the opposite? That, that like he's not getting laid, but he became very religious, and he thinks sex work is the worst thing in the world, and that's not going to be what he wants either. You know, I mean, we we do a lot of projection about people with disabilities because they are this. We think they're this sexless kind of blank slate. So if she lives in New York and she's hip with sex work, maybe she thinks that's what he's into. Now. It may be what he was into, and, and you know, we, I have some suggestions for her. But, yeah, I think that she's going to need to build the relationship a little bit, or if yeah. nothing else, you know what, if he's on email, she could send him an email. I mean, I certainly wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't mind that email from my sister I haven't talked to in two years, just saying, you know, I happen to be in New York. I know a little bit about this. Is that something you're interested in? Mm-hmm. It could be. Well, I think, we don't, you know, I, I would back up and say I think she needs to reestablish contact with her brother. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was in his shoes, the last email I'd want to get from my sister is a pity fuck email saying, oh, I'm sure you're alone and miserable. Can I send you a letter <laughs> to right. my guilt about how <laughs> that we have no relationship at all? <laughs> yeah, well, that, I see uh, you're, you're, a, you're a much better study of, of uh, people's, <laughs> of people's uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, motivations. That's very true. Now, having said it that way, I agree with you. Um, it depends to him establish rapport, and if this is something like six months or nine months down the road, that after they are sharing the intimate details of the lives with each other again, he says, you know, she broaches the subject, and he agrees that that, that would be awesome, I would be totally yeah. down with her doing it. Now, if that all comes to pass, and right. he, they establish a, reestablish a relationship, they have a rapport, he says that having his sexual needs met that way would be terrific, and he can't afford it, and if she wanted to pop for it, he'd love that. How does she find the sex worker? Well, so he really, I mean, if he can, and he, sh- and he should be able to, I mean, uh, he, it would be best if he can do it on his own, and she could probably help him. Um, I actually, I, because I'm in Canada, as you know, and, and I, I know how to do this in Canada. I didn't know what to do in the States, so I actually enlisted the help of Adesha Ray, who wrote Naked on the Internet and writes a lot about sex work, as does Melissa Jira. And so they had a few tips. One is erosguide.com. Um, they said it's, you know, it's, not, it's not a great website. It's not perfect, but it's not bad. And 
and there's reviews of sex workers and sex worker ads. Um, their suggestion, which I thought was interesting, was go more for the sex worker ads that talk about uh, doing kind of like healing work or tantric work. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that that's exactly what they're doing. Often, though, people who use those kinds of words in their ads are more uh, and compassionate. Exactly. They have a different mentality about, about the work, and, and sometimes they just care more about it. Right. Um, the big thing is that, um, you know, the best thing to do is a referral. So, I mean, the problem is she's in New York, he's in the Midwest, but if she can ask around, maybe she knows someone near where he is who's, who, who knows a good sex worker. You know, referrals are always best, keeping in mind that I think in the States, I'm pretty sure it's illegal for a sex worker to make a referral to another one. So, it, but if it can happen, that's great. Otherwise, you know, I mean, it's about, it's about calling around based on ads and making the disability thing part of the negotiation, right? So if you're calling to find out what the rates are, do you do out calls, or if you're working from your home, is it accessible? Um, and then ask a question about disability. So, like, you know, have you ever had a client with a disability? Um, what do you think about that? People are, particularly people with disabilities, are, are very good judges of other people's disability phobia, right? They can kind of sniff it out pretty quickly. So asking a question like, even asking a question like, so is your place wheelchair accessible? That's going to, you know, they're, they're either going to go no and be kind of weirded out, or they're going to have a straight answer. Um, so making that part of the negotiation, definitely one of the, one of the big no-nos is to kind of spring it on a sex worker, to not mention it at all, show up for the date, and then, and then, and then they're not prepared for it because they may, you know, that, that could be sort of not cool. Well, Corey Silverberg, author of Ultimate Guide to Sex and Disability, thanks very much. Oh, you're very welcome. I am 18 years old, freshman at Puget Sound. I've been dating my boyfriend for four years, um, on and off, three years, collectively. Um, he just moved up here about a week and a half ago to live with me, and it's been really great, and I felt more in love with him than ever, yada, yada. And recently decided to tell him that I hadn't actually had as many orgasms as I had let on since we started having sex when I was 14. I didn't really know the ways of it. So I just sort of put on a show and only told him the truth just a couple days ago. And then we had sex after that and he couldn't really keep it up. The second time today when we had sex, he couldn't keep it up either. And I asked him why and he told me after a lot of reluctance that it was because he doesn't find me as physically attractive as he used to. And I imagine that if I called you and told you that, you would say, dump him, which I guess I plan to do. But I really would like some supportive advice from you, Mr. Savage. So I listened to your call. I listened to your question. Uh, yeah. Have there, have there been any change in circumstances since you uh, left the message? No. Uh, so the boyfriend, how old is the boyfriend? He's 20. He's 20, and you're 18. 19 almost. Okay. Um, you know, what you, what you told him, uh, that for four years, since you were 14, you'd been faking orgasms, mm-hmm. you, you know, that was a long time for him to be led to believe that his sexual skills were something that they were not or that he was providing you with something that he was not. Uh, which, you know, I'm not pounding on you. Like, you're 14 years old. You were just learning how to be sexual. You know, a lot of girls uh, are raised to be, be pleasers and let men, you know, assume that everything they do is dipped in gold and rolled in moonlight, right? Yeah. Uh, but what you told him was sort of shredding his ego a little bit. So he was feeling a little bit, you know, like taken down a peg. And then what he told you was 
Not, I'm not excusing it. It was a cruel remark. Mm-hmm. But it was probably, you know, he's young, he's immature, and he lashed out and tried to say something to you that was equally ego shredding. Yeah. Which does not excuse it. Right? Right. It may not even be true. Have you guys unpacked this at any uh, other time? Have you talked about it again? Yeah, we did. Well, after I called you, I came back to the room and told him to to leave, and um, we ended up talking for many hours and took a long walk and did unpack the whole thing. So where are you at now? I'm still, I'm still shaken up about it, even though he explained himself a little bit more, and I don't know. I still, I'm a little bit, I don't know. Why is a 20-year-old man moving to live with his girlfriend in college? Um, why not? <laughs> well, is he in school? Does he have a job? What's What are his aspirations and goals? Well, he's, he was a little bit of a bum in high school, and now he's just starting to get his life together again and get away from his Portland life, well, from Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. and um, just trying to get stuff t- together again and... Um, going to go to school here. Do you want to be with him or not? Yeah, hell yeah. Why? Because I I really love him and I care about him and he's a great guy. He's really smart and makes me laugh. Okay, well then this is maybe worth working past. Yeah. You know, he can't hold you. You were a child when you initiated the sexual relationship. And he yeah. was 16 and you were 14, so it's probably cool with the law and everybody else. I don't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you sort of were under duress and coerced culturally into letting him make certain assumptions about how you functioned sexually. And you were just coming into your own, coming into your body and learning how it works. Mm-hmm. And now you guys need to rebuild from scratch your sexual relationship, which you're not going to be able to do if the last thing on the table out of his mouth is, I'm not attracted to you anymore, that's why I can't get it up. When if yeah. the actual reason is he can't get it up because he's racked with nerves now about not being able to please you as easily or the way he used to, or the way mm-hmm. he thought he could, that your yeah. pleasure is going to require more of him and more mutual you know, understanding mm-hmm. and, and more communication and more effort on his mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. And if he, well, if he can't man up and do that, you need to be done with him. Yeah, definitely. And I would encourage you that if you guys want to keep the sexual relationship going, he needs to, you know, has he apologized for that remark? Has he taken it off the table? Has he said it wasn't true? Yes. So he was just lashing out. Yeah, he was. And, I mean, also, there was lots of sort of interesting that you might like to hear. I, when I was 16, I had an abortion from from him, and um, I just, then he broke up with me from that. And I completely let go of my appearance and all of that. And so I'm still I'm just starting to work out again and get my self-esteem back a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I mean, it's a touchy subject since it was related to that. Right. Okay, well, he if he was still attracted to you before you told him that you had faked orgasms for four years, <laughs> then he should still be attracted to you now. Yeah. After. Here's what you need to do. And, you know, I'd encourage you to keep, you know, uh, I hate this sounds terribly sexist, working on your appearance for your own sake. 
you know, mm-hmm. because it's better to be healthy than not be healthy. It's better to get exercise than not get exercise. It's better to have a decent diet than not have a decent diet. It's better to take care of yourself than not, regardless of how he feels about anything. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to rebuild this sexual relationship, here's what you need to do. You need to return to not having intercourse. You need to have outer course. You need the both of you need to, when you do want to be intimate, masturbate together. He needs to learn how your body works and what it, your orgasms really look like mm-hmm. when you masturbate. Mm-hmm. And I would I would knock it back to oral and mutual masturbation exclusively, and that'll take the pressure off him too. Not only will it allow you to show him how your body works for real and how what your orgasms look like for real, it also takes the pressure off his dick and off his erection. It won't matter if he, you know, goes up and down and up and down a little bit due to nerves or whatever. He won't have the performance anxiety of feeling like, oh, my God, I have to stay hard, and I don't know what I'm doing now, and I don't know what her pleasure looks like, and all the pressure's on my dick. Yeah. It takes both things off the table, right? And then yeah. try to reconnect intimately and sexually without the pressure of performing vaginal intercourse to completion. Okay. And then reemerge into vaginal intercourse when you guys are clicking again and, you know, your sexual bond is, is reconnected in a way that, you know, alleviates all this pressure. And then when you're ready to go back into vaginal intercourse, have it be from this joyful place where, you know, you're graduating back to vaginal intercourse because you're both ready for it and anxious to do it and excited about it again. You know everything, Dan Savage. <laughs> you know, I really don't. I really don't. I'm, <laughs> I'm reading this out of the Encyclopedia Britannica. All right. Give my best to the boyfriend, literally. <laughs> I will do my best. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye. Hey, Dan, this is Macho from Miami. Uh, me and a co-worker, um, by the way, I'm straight male, and uh, I like your podcast, actually. I think I'm addicted to it. Anyway, uh, me and a co-worker were discussing something, and I thought maybe you would be the one to answer it, and it is why... Do lesbians like manly, butch, bulldike women? Why is it that gay men, you know, prefer, you know, most gay men, young, attractive, you know, fit, good-looking men, while lesbians, I see these girls, these gorgeous girls with these other girls that look like men. Why wouldn't they just date a man? What is that phenomenon and what... You know, and then when you're, you, the only thing we could come up with is maybe they like the sensitivity of a woman. They don't like the manliness of a man. But then some of these women that I see, they're, they're like very aggressive towards the, they almost act like a jealous man. And um, it, it's almost like, why wouldn't they date a, a real man instead of a fake man? Kind of, I don't know. Maybe you can help me comprehend it. You know, when you said it's Macho Mike from Miami, you really didn't need to add, by the way, I'm a straight male. I totally picked that up because I, I know everything. And I'm really sensitive to those uh, verbal cues. Um, a lot of lesbians – you know what? I don't want to speak for the lesbians. I'm going to invite the lesbians to call in and speak for themselves. I have my own theories about why uh, a lot of women are attracted to – a lot of lesbian women are attracted to uh, butch, guy, butch uh, girls, to uh, masculine women uh, – you know, and I, but I'm not going to throw those out there right now. I'm going to invite lesbian listeners to call in and let us know what it is about BOI boys and bull dykes and butch girls that you dig. And I have a feel. Well, you know what? I'm I'm just going to sit on my 
mouth if that's not too disgusting an image and impossible to actually achieve. I'm going to sit on my hands, but that wouldn't stop me from talking. I'm just going to shut up is what I'm going to do. Lesbians, give us a call. 206-201-2720 is the number at the Savage Lovecast. We want to hear from the Dykes. We also want to hear from everybody else with their questions about sex and politics and romance. Um, and we're going to leave it there this week. Uh, that wraps up this installment of the Savage Lovecast. Uh, you download us every week at www.thestranger.com savage. I blog every day at slog.thestranger.com. And me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth will be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. And hopefully, we'll be hearing from lots of lesbians about what the fuck is up. Why not a real man instead of a fake man? 